listening to The Journey Podcast. The Journey is a college and young adult ministry of Southcrest Baptist Church. We hope this podcast helps you find your greatest pleasure and purpose in Jesus. Amen. I was thinking about this week of maybe some like funny things that I believed as a kid or believed in as a kid, like, and this is a safe place, all right, I want you to be able to admit this freely with me. How many of you one time believed in the Easter Bunny? Yeah, it's okay, all right. And at some point in your childhood, as you were hearing the biblical Easter story and the Easter Bunny, you probably began to realize this has nothing to do with each other, right? You kind of know what I'm talking about at some point, but we eagerly awaited, like, I don't know if your parents would give you like a present on Easter or they hide the eggs somewhere in the house and then the Easter egg hunt. Uh, There's other funny things we believe, like as a kid, like um, as we look at the sky, we kind of make up things about what the, what the clouds look like or when it, when it thunders, like uh, sometimes we believe like, oh, that's God yelling or something like that. I don't know, something silly. But hey, here's one. If you did something bad, have you ever done something bad right when it thunders? Or like say something, and you're like, oh man, my grandma was right, that's what's happening. Um, but here's probably the, the funniest and, and maybe kind of like, I don't know, worst thing that we could believe, and that is the belief in Santa Claus, all right? So as you can tell, I made an illustration uh, for Christmas last week. I'm doing it again this week. Christmas is on my mind. And so I built up a lot of pressure for Caitlin. I need a really good gift this year for Christmas. I'm just going to use this as an area to kind of vent that out. Is that okay with you guys? All right. Uh, But the belief in Santa Claus. And so as a kid, what happens is you better watch out. You better not. You better not pout. I'm telling you why. Santa Claus is coming to town. But... At some point, you realize Santa Claus ain't coming to town, right? You know what I'm saying? So as a kid, um, your parents are telling you, like, hey, Santa is, is, is real, unless your parents are much holier than mine, and they thought that was nonsense and unbiblical, and that's probably a small uh, amount of people. But what, what they'll tell you is, like, hey, Santa, um, he comes on Christmas Eve, right? He brings presents, yeah? You know what I'm saying? And... Um, it's, it's kind of like while you're sleeping and you're, you're not going to be able to see him. You're not going to be able to hear him. And, and so as a little kid, you're like, oh, that's exciting presence. But you know what begins to happen? And especially analyzing this with an adult with a fully formed cerebral cortex. Here's how I kind of sum this up. So you're trying to tell me that there is a really fat man. And basically the equivalence of a red and white onesie with a black belt on and black boots who comes to children's houses at night while they're sleeping and puts things underneath their tree and goes up and down their chimney without you hearing like, guys, that's creepy. Like, like, it, like that is an idea in 2020 that could get you arrested, right? Like, that's a really weird thing. But you know what? As kids, we bought it, didn't we? Like, we believe, but over time, I think, uh, if you're like me, I, it was about five years old. Interestingly, five years old was the, was the age I was when I believed in the gospel. I think maybe the first kind of birth of maybe logical, rational thought, kind of maybe the first instance of like a healthy skepticism started coming out of me. And I began to think, okay, the world's pretty big. I've learned that much in school. How does he do all that overnight? 
And like, how does he slip through the chimney? Mom and dad, we don't have a chimney. We don't have anything. Like, does he go through the front door? Like, and I began to think about how he, how could he eat that many cookies? And like, you know, eventually my, my parents were struggling to answer those questions. They were struggling as they were encountering my skepticism. And one night I heard a noise and I get up out of bed and walk outside and Santa Claus was my dad. Right? Never happened to any of you guys? You discover that way? And it's a heartbreaking thing I, when you realize that Santa's not real. Rob Littlefield had to discover this week um, that Santa is not real. Where are you, Rob? There he is. He's back there. I'm so sorry to break your heart. But here's, here's what happens as, as little kids and, and also as we get older. And I think this is maybe a good argument for Santa is we start to ask good questions about something that we've believed just because we've been told. And so we, we develop this idea or maybe this kind of criticism and way of thinking where we're like, I don't want to just believe in something just because I've been told. I want some evidence. I want something there to kind of match up with what I've been told. And so if there's anything good about Santa is that eventually, hopefully all of you, I didn't break any other hearts tonight, but when you realize he's not real, even though it's kind of a bad thing to tell your kids that someone exists that he doesn't is we begin to have a healthy skepticism. And I think from there, we go through the rest of our life and we ask questions about things. We're not so gullible. I don't know about you, but like it was, I remember it being very frustrating to have been told something and expected to believe it when I didn't have any evidence. And it almost felt bad to be skeptical, but here's what I wanna invite you into. Well, welcome to our What is Truth series, an invitation to the skeptic. Christians and non-Christians can be skeptical. We can think critically about our faith. And that's exactly what I want to invite you into because guess what? At some time or the other, it's just part of a, a normal faith journey. You get frustrated and you think in my faith in God because I see as I read the Bible and I grow in Christ that it's actually gonna cost me something or you encounter suffering or you realize that sometimes following God means not getting to do the things that you always wanna do. And you're, you're like, if I'm gonna believe this, if I'm gonna commit to this, I don't want this white knuckled kind of blinds faith, like, I hope it's true, like, what you develop in you, hopefully, and what we're going to try to do in this series is more of a, along with a, a healthy, good faith that only God can give you, produced by the Holy Spirit, a salvific faith, but also a faith that is informed with logic and reason, and there's some coherence to it. Are y'all, y'all tracking with me there? And so what I want to do in this series, believe it or not, as much as that's confusing, I want to invite your skepticism. I, I want you, if you've, you're struggling in your faith now, let's, let's look and examine our faith, all right? If, if you have friends who are a little skeptical or don't believe in God, invite them and let's come into this space and let's talk about it. So this is truly an invitation to the skeptic. And I, and I know that sometimes... This Bible, especially for those not familiar with it, who didn't grow up with it, who are kind of shaking on faith, the Bible can be intimidating, all right? It's a big book. It's got 66 books, lots of words, lots of characters. The books are hard to pronounce sometimes, and especially the characters in the books are hard to pronounce sometimes, their names. And so what I want you to do tonight as we read it and open it, just if, even if you don't quite understand what exactly this book is, we believe this is God's word that he's spoken, that it's clear, it's our authority, it's our source of truth, um, for Christian truth. And so even if you don't understand everything, just listen to these words and, and examine and hear what's being said. And so where I'm going to start is Genesis chapter 
one. And you don't even have to turn there because a lot of you know this. If you haven't ever been there before, you may, may want to turn there just for um, a basis. But the question that I want to answer tonight as you're turning there, hey, how can we know that Santa Claus exists? No, I'm just joking. How can we know that God exists? That's a good question, isn't it? I don't know about you. I've, I've never physically seen God. Like in the, in the way I can look in this front row right here, I see catfish, what's up, man? Never seen God that way. So how can I know that he exists? Because I don't believe in anyone else that I can't see. Hmm. How can we know that God exists? In Genesis chapter one, the Bible starts this way. It says, in the beginning, God created. And then it continues on with all the things that God created, like all the, the world, galaxies, everything, and, and us. And so what you need to know, the Christian presupposition, where the Bible starts is not explaining how God was there. It just says, in the beginning, he was there. He was already creating. It wasn't in the beginning, God was this like speck thing and then became God. No, no, no. He was there. So that's where we begin from the Bible. It's our foundation from the very first chapter. It wants us. He said, here's a healthy assumption. God was there. So how can we know that he exists? Now I want you to turn to Romans chapter one, verses 18 through 23 with me. Romans chapter one, verses 18 through 23. It says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, uh, futile, sorry, in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. What a great way to describe a group of people, right? <laughs> All right, hope you feel encouraged. Hey, when we read this, when we ask the question, how can we know that God exists? I believe the first answer is we can know that God exists by looking at creation, Okay, as you examine this passage, the sum whole of it is like God's power, his divine nature, evidence of his attributes can be clearly seen just by opening your eyes and looking around you and seeing the vastness of a sunrise or sunset or the mountains or the oceans. Just look around and what Romans 1 wants to tell you and anybody is that that is sufficient just in and of itself to arrive at least at the conclusion that there has got to be a God and a maker behind that. Does that make sense? Yeah? Can you like a hand raise if that makes sense? Something? Not many hands raised. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. I'm just going to start the sermon over. We'll I'm just joking, guys. Hey, um, so what's happening? Like, why, why is that not obvious? And so what, why is it not obvious that... Um, if just from creation, oh yeah, we should, we should know that there's a God. But what Romans 1 also tells us is that either intentionally or unintentionally, 
we naturally, in our state of sin, suppress the truth. And so this can be sort of a blindness. It can be a distortion of reality. Or this can be like you're looking at it and maybe something happened in your life. And it's not so much that you don't believe in God. It's that you're angry at God and you claim atheism. So I'm going to suppress this. And no, no, I see it. I don't want to see that beauty. No, I'm not going to believe it. That's how it explains it. And so here's, here's the next layer. Why would we suppress such a beautiful truth? Why would we be so tempted to suppress the, the reality that there's a, a great, amazing, awesome creator who created everything in the whole universe? John Calvin says it like this. He says, men are never duly or wholly touched and impressed with a conviction of their insignificance until they have contrasted themselves with the majesty of God. By the way, that's out of this really big book. It's hard to find this quote, so I didn't open this book. But I want you to know, as we're reading tonight, there's about, there are these and about five to six others that I'm pulling from. So I just want you to know, good news, uh, a 28-year-old isn't making things up on the spot about how we can answer this question. These are men, quoting from men, quoting from men, quoting from men, a lot of quotes from the Bible. And so this is the book that I got that from, if you're curious. And so um, let me read it again. Men are never duly touched and impressed with a conviction of their insignificance until they have contrasted themselves with the majesty of God. Basically what it's saying, until one opens up their eyes and realizes there's something greater and bigger out there because I I can't explain stars and the sun. Like I can't explain the fact that if the sun were any closer, we'd burn up or any farther away than we'd freeze. Like there must be something bigger out there than me. Stop navel-gazing and looking at yourself, and when you take your eyes off yourself, you'll realize, I'm not very impressive, but there's a God out there who is. That's what John Calvin is saying. I've been reading a book on prayer. Uh, It's called The Possibility of Prayer, and the author sort of opens up one of his chapters talking about something really incredible that I want to read to you. If you'll just listen, I'll try to read it in a way that makes you want to listen. He says this, um, and talking about an impressive part of creation, he said, the Crab Nebula is an exploding star about 4,200 light years away. I first learned about it in Annie Dillard's book, Teaching a Stone to Talk. Light from this exploding star first became visible to Earth in the year 1054. It was a supernova then, so bright it could be seen during the daytime. A thousand years later, the star is still exploding. What explodes for a thousand years? What has the density and size to keep up this pace? If you look at the Crab Nebula today through binoculars, it looks like a little ring. If you stare at it, even with earnest stillness, you will see no movement. The naked eye, clothed with binoculars, looks at this exploding star, and it seems more like a statue. Photographs of the Crab Nebula taken 15 years ago seem identical to photographs of it taken yesterday, even though it's constantly exploding and expanding. And yet, the Crab Nebula, get this, is expanding at the rate of 70 million miles a day. And it's been doing that for millennia. That means thousands of years. We are in a universe where something that has increased in size by over a billion miles wide over a 15-year period goes unnoticed. Isn't that crazy? 15 billion miles wide goes unnoticed. The Crab Nebula expands 2,900 times larger than Earth every day. Like, it's not 2,900 times larger than Earth. It expands 2,900 times larger than Earth every single day. It's a constantly expanding firework that lights up the whole corners of the universe. And for hundreds of years, anyone conscious enough 
to give attention has not given it much attention at all. I'm almost done. It is false humility. It is false humility to call ourselves a speck in the universe. Put your hand over your mouth and consider that the exploding crab nebula is a speck. What are we? Man. So when, when you hear something like that, guys, that's pure science. Even though science and the Bible are friends. What science needs to be defined as is something that can be validated and proven. And guess what? Something that can be proven using an actual scientific method has not been able to counter the truths of Scripture. Isn't that encouraging? And so what this is basically saying is like, hey, science is teaching this about the Crab Nebula. The Bible's not a science textbook, but we've discovered this, and this is true and real. What it's saying is that if you would just open up your eyes and look at the vastness of creation, you would come to a conclusion that there has to be more than just randomness and chaos that somehow created all of this. And so even when I say that, you know where I'm going. You know where I'm going, don't you? Start, starts with big bang theory. And so when I ask you to stop and behold the creation, I say, oh, it's great. A lot of people who hold the big bang theory, they're like, yeah, that's right. Came from a big bang, an explosion of light. And, and basically, we, we can assume, uh, using simpler terms, that we are basically stardust. We, we came from stardust. Like, yeah, yeah, look at the crab nebula. Look at, look at what the big bang did. Here's the issue with that. When, when, when those who are in the, in the realm of science, let's just say atheistic science, scientists, what they will use is they will use reason and logic and rationale and the scientific method as they observe scientific discoveries and everything around them, everything that, literally everything in this room, everything in the whole world, they, they kind of look at and they will demand and explain, hey, that has a designer. For example, they would look at the Oreo and not say, thank you, Big Bang. No, they would say that has a designer. A designer I'd love to meet. He's, he or she's got to be pretty great. The Oreo's pretty great, right? Amen? Amen? Oreo's pretty great. There we go. And so they look at everything else, and they analyze it and say, this had to have design. When they look at a complex building that some, several engineers maybe collided on and, 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 and wanted to work on, they, they know that has a designer, even though it's complex, even though it's difficult to understand. And for some reason, though, when it comes to just explaining our origin and how we got here, they abandon the logic and reason that they use every single day of their lives and say, man, it just probably came from an explosion of light or something. I don't buy it. I don't buy it. When we look at anything else, we... No, it has an origin. We look at ourselves. I, I have an origin. I have parents, and they have parents, and they have parents. You see anything. Why would we abandon natural ingrained logic and reasoning that we look at the world through, we look through that lens through for everything else in the world? Why would we abandon that? And that's essentially what's happened. So you have to ask yourself, why would the most amazing most beautiful, intricate parts of our creation, like the Crab Nebula. It's even designed in a symmetrical, amazing way as it's constantly exploding. Why would that be the result of randomness and chaos? Why would that not get a designer, but the Oreo does? 
that doesn't make any sense. Make more sense that the Oreo came from randomness and chaos, especially when you eat too much of them like I do. Can you, can you eat enough Oreos though, really? Oh, thank you. Thank you, guys. Just, make, just making sure you're with me. All right, making sure you guys are alive. We're talking about a God who used his words. Used his words, y'all, to speak the world into creation. You know how badly, when I've been hungry, I've wanted to just say Chick-fil-A sandwich. Or like the new MacBook comes out, MacBook. I, I can't even do that. What a God, we're trying to synch- synchronize what the Bible's saying and science is very likely to suspect it is. God spoke the Crab Nebula into existence. So we need to be very careful talking about God in human terms. Oh, if God created us, then who created God? No, no, no. Talking about the God who's from everlasting to everlasting before the mountains were formed, he was there. We're talking about a God who we can comprehend enough to believe in, but we'll never fully comprehend. And I don't know about you, I love that. Once I have someone, you know this with your friends, like someone like, oh, I would be friends with them, or guys and girls in relationships that they're new, and then after a few months, you feel like you find out everything, and then you're bored, right? Let's be, be honest. We've been talking about dating recently. It's okay. Let's bring it back up. Just joking. Hey a God that you can figure out and know everything about, if that happens, I recommend choosing another God. It's not the God of the Bible. And so how can we know that God exists? When we read stories about the crab nebula, I think what we have to do is we have to open our eyes and look at the beauty and vastness of creation. Amen? Believers in the room, amen? Look and see our God, right? Open your eyes challenge you to, tomorrow night. Like, what's, what's the sunset? It's Lubbock, so you can see sunsets, not the, not the city, all right? <laughs> you can see the stars. Just look at it. How can we know that God exists by looking at creation? So now what I want to do, I want us to look at us. Here's the beauty of it. We can look at ourselves. We can actually look at how we're wired, ways that we behave for evidence uh, that God exists. And so here's where I'm going. Let's just flip over one chapter in Romans to chapter two, verses 12 through 16. Let's read this together. For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law, for it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts while their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. On that day, when according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. How can we know that God exists? We can know by looking at creation and Romans 2 is telling us by looking at human morality. And here's where I'm getting this from. Not from this book, but I'm gonna grab it so I don't have to go back and get it. Whenever we read Romans 2, what we see is that God's law is actually written on our hearts. It's talking about unbelievers. When it, when it says Gentiles, usually the Bible, when it says Jews and Gentiles, Jews are typically known as God's people. Gentiles are nations, are people outside of Jerusalem that are not a Jew. So we're technically Gentiles. Y'all with me? Tracking? Good. And so it's talking about unbelievers. 
that even for unbelievers, God's law is written on their hearts. And what's God's law? It's essentially the truths of scripture. It's, it's, you can think the 10 commandments, things like do not murder, do not steal, do not, do not kill, things like that. It's, it's, it's claiming that in your conscience and ingrained on your heart by God's design, you have a general sense. Everyone has a general sense. Even with people who are, are evil and sinners have a general sense of right and wrong. And you see there in the text how it says that your, your conscience will either um, excuse you or accuse you. Did you see that? So that's whenever we're doing something bad and we feel guilt. <laughs> that's whenever we're doing something good and we're, we feel affirmed in our conscience. Y'all see that? So even people with, that are not believers, who don't believe in God, they, they have this. But here's the problem. That, that's, that's neglected for various reasons. I want to read this uh, from The Reason for God by Tim Keller. We have Making Sense of God, his newer version of this book out there. But The Reason for God is also very good. And he calls this concept free-floating morality. Basically, there was this couple that came into his office and they were claiming that there was no God, but the, the woman, uh, the wife, had a very um, high moral compass. And so this is where the story picks up. I asked them to tell me about something they felt was really, really wrong. The woman immediately spoke out against practices that marginalized women. You should speak out against that, right? That's a good good. Virtue. I said I agreed with her fully since I was a Christian who believed God made all human beings, but I was curious why she thought it was wrong. And then she responded, Women are human beings and human beings have rights. It is wrong to trample on someone's rights. I asked her how she knew that. Puzzled, she said, Everyone knows it is wrong to violate the rights of someone. I said, Most people in the world don't know that. They don't have a Western view of human rights. Imagine if someone said to you, everyone knows that women are inferior. That's not true, by the way. You'd say, that's not an argument. It's just an assertion. And you would be right. So let's start again. If there is no God, as you believe, and everyone has just evolved from animals, why would it be wrong to trample on someone's rights? Her husband responded, yes, it is true. We are just bigger brain animals, but I'd say animals have rights too. You shouldn't trample on their rights either. I asked whether he held animals guilty for violating the rights of other animals if the stronger ones ate the weaker ones. He said, no, I couldn't do that. And this went on and on and on. And he asked, why, why did the couple keep insisting that humans had this great, unique individual dignity and worth? Why did they believe in human rights? She responded, I don't know. I, I guess they are just there. That's all. And so what, what Tim Keller did in this conversation, he was trying to pick apart like, okay, if you don't think you need God for your morality, then, then why do you believe this? What's your basis? What's your foundation for claiming that it's good to love people when you don't have a standard or definition for love? Are y'all tracking with that a little bit? You get where I'm going? The first time I heard this, I was like, that's why I'm asking you, are you tracking with me? Okay. Where am I at my notes? Okay, here we go. When we see those who don't believe in God hold up these virtues that are so synonymous with Scripture, that are so parallel with Scripture. What that is, is that's not only proving Romans 2, right, that God's law is written on their hearts. It's proving the Imago Dei, that they're created by God. I had so many friends in atheistic, communistic China where, where I served overseas. I probably shouldn't have said that on camera. Anyway, where I served overseas. Hi, I'm here in Lubbock, Texas. Um, <laughs> That was dumb. That was not in my notes, by the way. But I had so many friends that denied the existence of God. 
but yet they would care so much about creation. Like they would see trash on the ground and they'd pick it up. And I'm seeing they acknowledge the beauty of creation. They wanted to go walk through beautiful parks and see the, the trees and the flowers and all those things like that. Guys are like, that's weird. You, anyway, so trying to connect with them, okay? All right. And so I, I saw all these things bursting out of them that was proving the image of God. These are virtues that just don't come out of nowhere. And so I think the application as we think this through is to, um, man, just think and ponder and think critically. Why, why do I say this is good or bad? Why do I say this is right or wrong? I want you to imagine that I, um, I talk about Toyota Tundras all the time. I drive a 2006 Toyota Tundra. I would love to have a brand new one someday. Brandon knows uh, we talk about it quite a bit. And so let's just say I pull up in a brand new Toyota Tundra next Tuesday night, and I'm like, I, I'd never do this, but for some reason I got just one hand on it. You know what I mean? Like, it's not even a lowrider. I don't know what I'm doing. Uh, but I'm super excited about it. I'm talking about all the specs. Like, it's got, like, uh, Bluetooth has been around for a while, but my 2006 doesn't have it. And so it's got Bluetooth and all this stuff like that. It gets this much miles per gallon. I, I love it. It's comfy. There's enough room for Caitlin in the front, Eleanor in the back, and all this. And all of a sudden, in passing, I say, and it's weird. Just, like, magic. I just turn the key, and it and it's just magically starts. I don't, there's nothing making it start. It just starts and I go wherever I want to. And you're like, that's kind of weird. And, and, and I'm like, yeah, it doesn't even need an engine or a, a carburetor or a transmission or anything. It just, I just magically turn the key and it goes. And you're like, dude, what, are you on something, man? Like, and, and you start talking to me like, that's kind of weird. Have you ever looked under the hood? And I'm like, no, man, I don't need to. It's fine. Like it, it just magically goes. It just turns on. And, and you're kind of very gently, because you don't want to embarrass me in front of everybody, say, yeah, man, like after, after Tuesday night, let's go out and check it out. And your plan is to look under the hood. So we get out there, right? And we walk out, and I was like, yeah, man, this is cool. Look at this magic key turn thing. You're like, no, I don't want to see that. Let, let me look at the hood. I just want to see what it looks like, right? You, like, open the hood, and I'm standing there. I'm like, no way, right? Oh, man, there is an engine there. Look at that. I don't know much about trucks, so I'm not going to talk about leaders and stuff. I'll, I'll just mess it up. But there's an engine, there's transmission, there's, there's all this wiring and all these components and all this design. Oh, come, come to think of it, I open the hood and the see, this is how the truck runs. This is why it's able to go from point A to PB, point, PB, <laughs> point A. <laughs> I don't even know that's a word. Point A to point B. This is why it's able to do everything that it does. This is why it goes when I want it to go and stop when I want it to stop. Hey, here's where I'm going. Not the truck, like where I'm going with the metaphor. Um, I think a lot of people with morality never look under the hood. You know what I'm saying? When they think about how we discover what's right and wrong and good and bad, I think we just like, yeah, I just kind of do it. Just, just kind of know. Like, I think I kind of picked it up from here and there. Maybe society and culture kind of told me and collectively and never kind of look under the hood and examine that reasoning we just kind of go about life, turn the magical key, right, of life and just think, um, yeah, I, my own definitions of good and bad, are, I, I kind of create them myself. And um, Evolutionary psychology would tell you we pick up these virtues um, almost in a genetical sense that they can be passed down um, through society and culture and, 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 and traits of selflessness, uh, or, or they use the word altruism, can be kind of passed down and I kind of look at that and I just think, okay, so you're telling me that 
genetic traits of morality should be passed down. I don't know when those kick in, but I'm just gonna tell you, um, when Eleanor comes to the age where she can, as soon as she can say no to me, she will say it. You know that? As a kid, no parent has ever had to teach their kids to say no, right? Brandon Hayes is back there. You ask him. He did not have to teach Carolina Tate or Haddon to say no. They said it on their own accord. How do little children learn how to commit the sin of disobeying their parents so early when they haven't been taught? It's because in direct contradiction with Scripture, we are actually, we don't inherit goodness. We inherit the sin of Adam. We are born into sin. That is our sin nature. And so when you look at society and culture, we, we disagree and agree on different things, right? It's an election year. You see that. How do we determine what's good and bad when there's no standard? Can I help you out here? How do we determine what's good and bad? This is the beauty of Romans 2. What Romans 2 is saying is that when you're doing good by the grace of God, because his law's on your heart and he's going to be guiding your conscience there's going to be an affirmation there, but when you're doing bad, there's going to be guilt there. Like no one who has committed a murder, unless they're, they're lying, no one who's committed a murder has ever walked away feeling totally innocent. No one who's going back to dating last week, who's gone too far in a relationship in various ways, had sex, slept over at each other's house. They're lying if they say they didn't leave there with guilt. And that's because it's in contradiction with God's law. It's written on your heart. Your conscience bears you witness. Don't you see that? What, what's, what's the standard? It's this book right here. Does this book affirm it? Or does this book speak against it? Is it for God or is it against God? Man, sometimes it can be so simple. How can we know that God exists? We can look, know that God exists by looking at creation beauty and vastness of it and by looking at human morality the most passionate and militant atheists don't have some kind of intellectual assent to morality they are so driven by emotions and how they determine good and bad see God whenever he wires us he doesn't just appeal to our brains he writes God's law where on our hearts so it's, it's something that drives us. Oh, this is so good. It's so beautiful. Man, let's, let's just pray. God, thank you. Thank you for wiring us in this way. Thank you for making this so clear. Even sinners that don't deserve it, you, you so graciously give us a conscience, write your law on our hearts and, and guide us in this way. I just praise you for that. There's people in this room that don't believe that. God, I just thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen. And probably the best evidence is something that we underestimate quite a bit. I want you to turn to Colossians chapter one, verses 15 through 20. I'm going to read quickly because we're running short on time. It says this about Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood 
of his cross. Oh my goodness, how can we know that God exists? We can know that God exists by looking at Jesus. I don't know why I pointed over there. He's not over there, by the way. <laughs> we can know that God exists by looking at Jesus, all right? It says that he is the image of the invisible God. So many people ask, oh, I just wish I could see God. Like, where is he? Look at Jesus. He's right there. He took on human flesh that he might be made known and also that, we, that he, he knows us. He took on flesh that we might have a relationship with God. We could see him. And some of you are like, no, man, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm, I mean, like, I want to, like, see him, see him, like, like, physically. And I'm like, dude, look, he's right there. Y'all turn around. There he is. Just, yeah, none of y'all fell for that. Good. <laughs> that was mean. Um, man, I think a lot of times it's kind of like when we lose our keys. Like, I'll just give you an example. Earlier today, I lost my Apple Pencil. I still don't know where my Apple Pencil is. That's not good. They're expensive. Um, I, I looked in reasonable places at first, <laughs> and then it got bad. Like, I looked on my desk and my backpack, and then I started looking at drawers of random rooms and desks that I've never been in, like, before. Like, why would I look there? And so I think a lot of times when we're saying, I want to see God, I want to find him, look for him, we, we kind of look at all of the wrong places. Like we want this sign. We want to hear an audible voice. We want to have a, an answer to prayer that's random. Like God, thank God that he hasn't answered all your prayers, especially hindsight, right? Like we, we have some prayers. I was like, mm, that's a little off. I'm so glad. God, just help, help this guy want to date me. Like, yeah, you dodged a bullet there, right? Years later, you're seeing it. Okay. We, we look for God in all the wrong places. And what scripture is telling us is we find God. We see him so clearly in Christ. Amen. See Jesus, there's, you know, it's an intellectual suicide for anybody to say that one, he didn't exist, two, that he didn't actually die on the cross. You know that? Atheists agree on that. It's intellectual suicide to say that. You can't explain the church, you can't explain the world's largest religion, Christianity, and, and say that he didn't actually believe what he said about himself, that, that he didn't actually die on the cross. And so he's either a liar, a lunatic, or a Lord. And I don't know about you, I've never known a liar or a lunatic that dies for his followers. Usually they're getting the heck out of Dodge as soon as the heat comes. You know what I'm saying? Man. I want you to know that there's so much evidence for, for God. And as we look to Jesus, there's books stacked here. Um, I think one of the most compelling things I've, I've ever heard is that when, when Jesus, um, in just his first coming, uh, Pastor David shared this last week. Um, if you, he f fulfilled about 109 um, Old Testament prophecies just in his first coming. Um, but if he were to have just fulfilled eight Messianic prophecies. Just eight. Okay, there's 109. Um, the chances of him not being who he said he was, not being the real Messiah, the Lord Jesus, um, is about one in 100 quadrillion. So I think that's about one in 10 to the 17th power. And here's, here's kind of a picture of this. Um, fill all of Texas, God's country, right? <laughs> if you're not from Texas, I'm sorry. <laughs> fill all of it about knee deep with silver dollars. Put a black check on just one of those silver dollars. Knee deep all over Texas, the, the whole of Texas. Blindfold a man, drop that man anywhere in Texas. He finds that one silver dollar with a black check. The 
the odds of that are the same odds of Jesus not being who he said he was, just fulfilling eight prophecies from the Old Testament. Now, I don't know if y'all heard me. He fulfilled over 109. And so as we're looking at some of the evidence tonight, as we say he's either a liar, lunatic, or Lord, and we're like, man, liars and lunatics don't usually do that. They don't usually die for their, their people. They usually don't influence for that many thousands of years. They usually don't have a, a book that has so much coherency and con- consistency. They usually don't, are able to stand up over time uh, against science. How in 2020, with so much skepticism, are we still meeting here? Have you ever thought about that? It's crazy. The evidence stacks up. And so when we look at things like this, my conclusion is it takes more faith to be an atheist than it does to be a Christian. It takes more faith to deny the existence of God than to affirm it and believe it. As we close tonight, I was thinking of, you know, it's not really enough to just give intellectual argument. Like I have a realization that a lot of times in our unbelief and our wrestling, there's something spiritual going on. I can't through argument override your unbelief, but I can tell you some things as we wrap up. I've had um, like funny, like aspirations, like funny dreams sometimes where I get to meet like um, my heroes. You know what I mean? Like maybe it's like a celebrity or something. And that's kind of a pastor um, I like had this dream one time where I got to meet one of my favorite like celebrity pastors and then, like he would hate the fact that he's a celebrity pastor. Um, but like I like his teaching and things like that. His, his name's Matt Chandler. If you don't know who Matt Chandler is. I had a dream where also was just like the beginning of the dream was like we were just sitting at a table over coffee. He just started, we just started talking like we were friends. Like I knew him, he knew me. We we're just talking. He was like pouring wisdom and loving in my soul and all those things. It was, it was great. And then I woke up and I was like, oh man, that was a dream. Oh, man, I thought I knew Matt Channel. I thought we were tight. You know what I mean? Like we were even texting each other like, hey, bro, that was like an enjoy meeting. Like it was so real. And I was so disappointed. Like, oh, man, I, I thought I knew him. I thought I was known. It's kind of funny like we do that with like relationships, people. Maybe you resonate like you'd love to meet your some, like celebrity, your hero, your idol, whatever. The reality is they don't know us. We don't know them. We have this inner desire to want to, to know and to be known. And guess what? A lot of times it's not fulfilled, but I can tell you someone that does know you. And that's God. He actually made a way for us to know him. Isn't that crazy? And the crazy thing is, is that he, he knows us even better than we know ourselves. Psalm 139 says he can count the hairs on our head. It says that while we were in the womb, he was knitting us together. It says, Psalm 139 says that before we ever lived one day, he plotted out those days in advance. Like he knows what your life is gonna look like. He knows the intricate details. And so why does this matter so much tonight, skeptic? As I'm inviting you in, consider this and ponder this. What is so special about God? Why am I up here? Why are we in this room? Here it is. The God who laid out your path before you were born offers to walk the path with you. The God of immeasurable greatness and innumerable thoughts makes the time to count the number of hairs on your head. The God who created the sun, moon, and stars has actually taken an interest in you. 
The God who spoke the world into creation wants to speak to you. The all-knowing God who gave us life, gave up his life for us that we may live and know him through Christ. This is God. So no matter where you are today, I want you to know God is real. God is present. He hears you. He sees you. He loves you. He has taken an interest in you. and He has gone to great lengths to show you his love. Best of all, by showing you the person of Christ. That is who God is. Will you believe in him tonight? Let's pray. God, I know you are there, and I thank you for being there. Thank you for listening, for caring, for not only knowing about us, but knowing us intimately. And thank you for not only knowing us, but making a way for us to know you. The God of the sun, the moon, and stars. And so my prayer tonight is that everyone in this room will not settle for a life without knowing you, but that in your grace and mercy, you would draw them to yourself tonight, introduce them to their maker. Thank you, Lord. We love you. And we now want to sing of your praise. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you are encouraged by today's podcast. If you'd like to learn more about The Journey, check us out on Instagram or Facebook at The Journey LBK. Thanks for listening.